Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First, Dave the Alcadron Vader, how was your otherworldly journey? Fantastic. Uh, I had the time of my life. Otherworld, for me as a staff person, Otherworld is an opportunity for me to uh, do between 12 and 17 hours of work a day while sleeping between four and five hours on the floor. Uh, <laughs> and it is the best time of my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's good. It sounds like you had a good time. I know you're, you, even though it was just text in the Discord, I could tell you were pretty, pretty exhausted from it, but you <laughs> yeah, had a good time. Yeah, it was tremendous. Uh, literally, everyone should check it out. It's an unparalleled experience. Nice, nice. We'll have to mark our calendars for next year. And it's about the same time. Yeah, it's always year, like the right? weekend Correct. before Indigenous Peoples Day, and registration always opens on or around the first day of July. And if you want more information, Perfect. you can find it at otherworld.org. Nice, nice, nice. Well, before I forget, before we move on to our PDH, PhD, I did want to give you a big thanks. I was working on my cube like a lot lately, like the last 10 days or so. I've just been working on it pretty hard. I revamped a bunch of stuff. And after our, I started it at 360, 360 cards, and it moved up to like 450. And I still wasn't real happy with it there. So I've settled on 540 and I'm almost there. And it stuck out like a sore thumb. After our last episode, our 3 by 3 episode, I realized that in my cube, black and red have an aristocrats theme as well as sub affinity themes in those colors okay. in the cube. But I did not have Aether Chaser or Aether Poisoner in the uh, cube whatsoever. Those are great for your cube. Yeah, they're amazing. Like it felt so good to put them in there. Like I, I do like test drafts and stuff of it, like usually one a day just to kind of see where it's at. And I've yet to draft one, but they seem really good, good in there. Good, good, good. I'm so thank you for that. I, I totally forgot about him until the, that last episode we I'm did. honored to have been at your service. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, as I alluded to before, next up is our resident PDH PhD, Liam. Sounds like you've had a busy week. I've had a very exhausting week, Brad. <laughs> Watsy makes everyone exhausted. I, I, I literally can't. Like, I was making the This Week in Magic list, and it just kept going. <laughs> compared to what was it like yeah there's like a month's worth yeah, of news in a week it was like two weeks ago i think where i had like nothing and i was like i'm sure there will be something in the future and then the, yeah like you said it's just a month's worth of nonsense it's just mm -hmm. uh, tell us about it yeah that's about it i'm just tired <laughs> <laughs> no have like, a just tired. how you how you do it <laughs> Well, I will give a I'll give a quick little thing about how I'm doing outside of my cube. I was listening to the Hex Drinkers newest podcast, House of Commons, under that Hex Drinkers umbrella. Excellent show, by the way. You should check it out. They're focused on more like the competitive uh, PDH side, and they brought up a really good point that I had never realized before. They talk also they also talk a lot about PDC or one v one Popper Commander, Popper Dual Commander, whatever you know it by. Uh, and there's some leagues going on that they get into. And one thing they had brought up that I simply had never realized before is that all the backgrounds that we have access to 
all the uncommon ones anyway that we have access to that have the words if no opponent if they have that you know that clause if no opponent blah 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 something happens those are all really good in 1v1 commander yeah yeah just valid because there's no way it doesn't trigger <laughs> yeah so i don't know why i never that never occurred to me before but that was like a huge like like big brain moment yeah me. i think they're they're deliberately designed that way so that like in your multiplayer games once it gets down to 1v1 they still function and they don't just become yeah. completely useless forever but if you're starting in a 1v1 okay, game yep i can see that they're Turns pretty out. good <laughs> Yeah, real good. Real good. Yeah, that's all I really had for my week. Right. Um, Liam, did you want to get into it? Yeah, sure. So you have a whole you have like a whole show notes I, worth I, of I know. <laughs> just magic news. <laughs> this week in magic, last Tuesday, a week from the day that we are recording this, Infinity spoilers concluded. Hence why we're doing Infinity this week to bring you an Infinity uh, set review, sort of, kind of, as well as uh, many rules clarifications. And then Wednesday was the calm before the storm, followed by some Brothers War early sneak peek spoilers on Thursday, which I totally called the uh, Mightstone Weekstone on thing on last week's show, and I'm I'm kind of proud but also mm-hmm. very upset by that. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be I wanted to be wrong. And then Friday we got some Transformers Universes Beyond cards spoiled. They are found in Brothers War boosters. Not entirely sure which type, but you can go to Daily and TG and look that up. Then Saturday we had a secret layer announcement for. Uh, a secret layer called Littler Walkers, uh, a riff off the Littler Walker secret layer they did about a year ago. They have five more Planeswalkers in the Chibi style artwork. Mm-hmm. That's not available on the secret layer website. It's available on the uh, Hasbro Pulse website if you're looking for those. Uh, and then we got the rest of the Transformers oh, code. <laughs> Sunday, uh, there was nothing. Yesterday, Monday, uh, there was nothing. And then today... We had the Magic Study stream. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. They doubled the amount of previews. I thought, like, I was free and clear. So we got the rest of the 30th anniversary dated retro promos, which if you don't know what those are, those are the foil promos that they started handing out at the Domino United pre-release slash related events. Uh, It's up to, like, each WPN store how they want to hand them out. There's, like, a recommendation of how to, but Mm -hmm. they have the final say. And, you know, they hand out, like, pre-release or game day, whatever. They're just, the, the promos that are, like, quote the most notable card from that year you know end quote where they have the the year dated on them the most notable ones being path of ancestry from i think it was 2017 and deadly dispute from 2020 uh or 2021 whatever year that was you know these cards being available in retro frame for the first time i'm a little sad that they're foil only because i'm not a big foil person but Kind yeah. of hoping that the Path of Ancestry also ends up in the Dominary, uh, not the Dominary, the uh, Brothers War Commander decks, which are all old border. Mm-hmm. And then we also MTG Bro. Yeah, we also got more Brothers War spoilers today uh, with the Mishra Melt card. Uh, we got some Dominary Master spoils, uh, which are mostly you know nothing super neat for us yet, except they did spoil an old border Tatiova from 2018, and I'm excited to build that alongside my old border Slimefoot. Yeah, yeah, that looks that looks dynamite. For those who play Arena, you can look forward to Shadows over Innistrad remastered in 2023. There was some more secret layer stuff, something about like a, a, a Magic 30 celebration secret layer that will go on sale towards the end of October. I'm not entirely sure. And then there was the Magic 30 Collector's Edition product where they're charging $1,000 <laughs> for a booster box, and I'm just we're just going to skip that. A, a collector booster box, yeah. four, four packs. Yeah, $250 packs. Yeah, it's... It's $250 a pack, and it's 15 cards a pack, and there's two or three basics per pack. I'm not entirely sure which. Yep. Yeah, we're leaving it at that. 
so so the gold bordered Dave, which means they can put the reserve list in it. So there's reserve list cards huh. in it. Uh-huh. But Re- there's like, reserve list yep. proxies in it. Yeah, the, 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 yes, it's, it's that's exactly literally everybody's point. Yeah. <laughs> they they listed yes, sometimes. Dave. I usually they, I usually try to like remind listed, people that you know like Wizards of the Coast is a business, right? Like a lot of their decisions are driven by sales. Like, but uh-huh. let the, this the be proxies. the moment that reminds you all: Wizards of the Coast is a business. They are yeah, in the business the of making money. Here are some yeah, one thousand so, dollar proxies. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, go. sorry, I interrupted you. If you remember the International Collector's Edition from decades ago, you mm-hmm. bought the it was like a two or three hundred dollar box, but you got one of everything, right? Like you got a set. This is two hundred fifty dollars yeah. for it, and they were all the same yeah, rarity. They were all, yeah, like a, an island was the same rarity as this the Black is, Lotus. This is same, yeah. a two hundred fifty dollar booster pack that is draftable. It has one rare. Two basics, something like three uncommon, seven like like the usual draft pack collation with mm-hmm. bunches of upshifts. Like commons got pushed to uncommons, uncommons got pushed to rares. I don't think there are any mythics. I don't think there are mythics, but I think like like there's like ten or twelve. Someone did the math. It's like ten or twelve more rares in this set than there was an actual beta, which meant stuff got upshifted. So like you're well, buying a thousand dollars for boosters, you get four rares. You can't even get a full set of Moxin if you were lucky enough to open one in each pack. I I hope that this product is wildly successful in that Wizards makes a lot of money doing it, and people who are really, really excited about spending $1,000 for proxies get to do that and are satisfied with their decisions. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. They can, that will not uh, be me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a hard pass. Yeah. Thank you. But you could get Thank a you. lotus. The- but what am I going to do with a lotus? A, I don't a want legal a one. black lotus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and the final thing that I, that was announced today was three universes beyond collaborations coming up next year in 2023. These have no release date as of yet, so presumably they will be after the Doctor Who stuff, which comes out in, towards the end of spring. Uh, we have a Final Fantasy a universe beyond. I believe they said a secret layer, an Assassin's mm-hmm. Creed secret layer. And a post Malone secret layer. Oh, Assassin's Creed! Oh my God! I, I'm so the, excited about the Assassin's Creed, Dave. It's not even funny. The show notes just say AC, and I was like, Armored Core? What? That's <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it seems like a weird thing to bring into Magic, but okay, I like Armored Core. Yeah. Hmm, kind of missed it on that one. Huh? Excellent. I'm a hundred percent here for any of the fan service they do in the Assassin's Creed. I've... Yeah, that's. That's yeah, that it. Be pretty um, sweet. I what was that like? 10 <laughs> that's minutes? it. Ten minutes. There's, there's it. nothing it. additional. Nope. That's this week in magic. I might not do yeah. this segment next week. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> he, he might be still too exhausted. <laughs> we'll, we'll see <laughs> if they can if they can top this. Gavin, please let this yeah. man rest. Get at us. Do you know what I want to be on next week in magic? Oh, I want there to be like good news. Lotus petal being reprinted in Dominaria remastered. Good news. Oubliette being reprinted in Dominaria. Like, can we yeah. just get that, please? <laughs> Please. Not $1,000 proxy yeah, packs. Please. And, oh, oh, no, no, hold on. Uh, Let me rephrase. Yeah. Good news. Lotus Petal and Oubliette being reprinted at Common in Dominary Remastered. I will make heads Thanks, roll Kevin. if Lotus Petal is a rare. Heads will roll. <laughs> I don't know whose head, but heads will roll. I'd love to, I'd love to see that. <laughs> it might just be pumpkin heads, but oh. they will roll. <laughs> All right. They will just roll. Yeah. Yeah. Petals will be stained with blood. Yeah. All right. Y'all ready to move on to the main topic? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about 
Let's talk about things that are much more whimsical and silly than $1,000 booster packs. <laughs> yes, cosmic and whimsical and silly. But yeah, in the latest of a long line of products, Watsy has released a fourth draftable unset, cool. which is Unfinity, if you haven't heard. And we decided to make a set review episode with this set because it's unique as an unset because it's really the first one outside of, I don't know, basic lands or whatever. It's the first one that has eternal legal cards in it, and that's really kind of set a lot of people on fire, no, no. both good and bad no, no. ways. The, the, the Unstable had the Steam Flogger boss. Oh, yeah. boss. It, it's a tunnel legal, even though it has no utility. It's a tunnel legal. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so we got we got a handful of new cards for PDH, you know, in the command zone. We can put them in the 99. We got some commons, some uncommons. And I, for one, welcome our cosmic overlords. What about y'all? You ready to get down with the SpaceX? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some SpaceX. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, I think we should probably start with just a little bit of history, a little resume, a little pedigree, if you will, of our own experiences with unsets. I'll start because mine's the easiest. I've never really played an unset. I've never drafted one. I've never been much of a limited player to begin with, so I certainly never went to draft an unset. Like, I own some of the cards that I think are just cool, like cool to look at, but I've never really played a deck with them. I've never put them in a deck I own a bunch of the basics, like the basic lands from the sets, because they're just amazing. Whatever, they're cool, and that's about it. So I'm, I'm really, as far as unsets go, I'm really just sort of an outsider looking in. And from that point of view, it's really fun. But, but I can't speak too much of the set about the sets themselves. What do you got, Dave? I have a very long. Yours is a little more involved. <laughs> I have a very <laughs> long history with unsets. I was, uh, I was 12 years old at Gen Con in 1998 when unglued pre-released and the pre-release featured mark rosewater walking around he was the head judge for the event he was walking around in a giant chicken suit he was just running around answering rules questions insofar as that that counted as rules things right but yeah i'd uh, i i actually met him he was extremely friendly i didn't realize who he was at the time i thought he was just a silly guy in a chicken suit didn't know that he was like the head designer for magic uh so that was weird. I, I was 12. The way that that tournament worked was that you got these little raffle tickets for doing stupid... Like, every time you won a game, you got a stamp on your card. But every time you did something stupid, like the Hokey Pokey, you got more stamps. So, like, the Hokey Pokey was worth three mm -hmm. stamps. Casting the BFM was worth 15 stamps. Killing <laughs> a BFM was worth 20. The guy, the guy sitting next to me in one of his games used foul play on his opponent's BFM. That was extremely entertaining <laughs> to me. Beautiful. Nice. Some someone else at one point simultaneously put rock lobster, paper tiger, and scissors lizards onto the board, like all on his side of the field. He just completely blanked his mm -hmm. entire board for because he was committed to the bit and like he he got a bunch yeah. of stamps for that. And then each stamp got you a raffle ticket and you got like a bunch of merchandise. So I I I did a bunch of stupid nonsense and I walked away with a a box of unglued and a t shirt and it was. I had a really good time for a 12-year-old. So this this set the tone for my engagement. Sounds like stickers and <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Not not on the magic <laughs> cards, but yeah. So I was I'm very very pro unset. I've I've been very engaged with every set as it has come out. I've played a lot of it. I've done a lot of drafts and sealed decks. I've been very enthusiastic about them all. I I, I forgot the Chaos Confetti story. You all want the Chaos Confetti story? I think we have okay. to have it. So uh, there's an urban legend about the early, early days of big magic tournaments that suggest that 
at at the final matchup of one of the very earliest Magic tournaments, one of the players was mm -hmm. dead on the field, and he needed to draw a single card that was going to answer his opponent's entire board. And the card he drew was Chaos Orb. And because this was the very early game of Days of Magic, and there weren't really a ton of rules enforcement going on, the urban legend says that he, in a stroke of genius, he ripped up his Chaos Orb into a bunch of little different pieces, even though, like, even back then it was like an $80, $90 card. He, he ripped it up, yeah, for sure. he threw it into the air, and the judge was like, I don't know if that's legal. And he's like, ah, doesn't say I can't rip it up. And it's, it's touching all of my opponent's cards, so they all die. And, like, he went on to win the game. Um, <laughs> I have no idea whether or not this is true, but as an homage to this story, they printed the card Chaos Confetti in Unglued, which works mm -hmm. exactly like the, the, story. the story. You have to, it's, a, it's like a Chaos Orb where you have to flip it into the air and whatever it lands on is destroyed. But first you have to rip it up into a bunch of tiny pieces and flip all of them into the air. So... At this pre-release, a bunch of people were ripping up Chaos Confettis, a couple of people were ripping up their Blacker Lotuses and just, you know, having a really good time with it. As it should be. This The tournament went on for like four, four or five rounds. So most of the ripping up happened in the first hour or so. And then, like, there wasn't a lot left for the end of the tournament because everyone had already ripped up their cards and had to put a different <laughs> had a sideboard in something else because their Chaos Confetti was gone. Mm -hmm. But there was one guy sitting not far from me who drew his Chaos Confetti for the first time in round four or something. And he immediately got so excited that he finally got to rip up his card that he, he without without thinking at all, he cast it, he ripped it up into little pe tiny pieces, and then he's holding it, looking at the board, and going... I don't need to kill any of your creatures. I have complete board control right now. This was foolish. <laughs> oh, no. And he shrugs, and he stands up, and he walks a couple feet over, and he goes, F*** you, Steve! And he just chucks it all over his friend's board. <laughs> and Steve was like, yo, man, what the hell? What just happened? And the judge was like, we just got fucked is what happened. Like, that's, that's all dead. That's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. And, uh, as an homage to this story, which actually did happen, I watched it happen, in the next unset, they printed a card called Ass Whooping, which destroys any card uh -huh. that you can see from your seat. Because they want to be able to let this guy just ruin Steve's day again, every chance he gets. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that it happened. Is a legacy. And uh, it was spectacular. There's a, there were a couple other stories from that event, like a guy standing on his chair and taking his pants off so that he could block an Erlun Wrangler. Mm. That was fun. That's fantastic. Yeah. It, was a, it was a really good time. That's that is my history with the unsets. It's been very positive. Uh, I drafted a lot of un, unstable. I drafted a lot of unhinged. When I heard that this new set was going to have eternal legal cards, I was very skeptical because I've always I've always really mm -hmm. loved these cards within their own context, and I was really skeptical about yep. what was going to happen when you take them out. But like, I've just spent the last hour or so looking at what the cards actually are, and like having seen them, I'm not worried about it at all. Like, it's all stuff with, like, stickers and attractions, and, like, if you want to put stickers and attractions into your Eternal decks, then go for it. Like, <laughs> it's not going to break but anything. Dave, but Dave, my legacy event. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sure keep, is. Keep them. <laughs> Here's some stickers. I'm out of it. It's all you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my experience with Unset is not as enamored as uh, Dave's is. My experience is fairly short. My first experience with an unset is unstable. When I walked into my LGS one day and they were like, we're drafting this unset. And I was like, what's an unset? And they're like, it's a set that shouldn't have mm -hmm. been made. And I'm like, so did we get like illegal product? <laughs> and they were doing a really bad job explaining to me that it was just a joke set. 
because you know my friends were all excited and and whatever they had been invested in magic slightly longer than i had and i you know i had no idea what an unset was i sat down to play and i had so many questions uh starting with why is a board of silver (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh and you know what i I have to give it to unfinished yeah to unstable because after that and after learning all those rules that's kind of what made me want to become a judge so i have to give it to unstable for that really um yeah i did not. uh so that was that was neat and then after that, uh, the unsanctioned box set. I know it's not a draft set, but uh, I actually really love the unsanctioned box set. Um, I got it as soon as it hit shelves. Didn't didn't give two hoots about the full uh, uh, up basics. Uh, so I convinced a guy at my LGS to buy them off me at uh, it was something like eighty percent TCG price at the time, which you know new set just dropped because it's expensive. Uh, so I, I I net lost five dollars on the box set, which I'm okay with. Yeah, I, <laughs> right. I you know after after buying it and selling the the full up basics, I paid five dollars for the box set, and it's just a board game that I play with my friends when they're over. That's it. Sure. Like I, I I enjoy it as a standalone product. I don't play any of the cards outside of it. I you know haven't sold anything else out of it because the box set functions without the full up basics. Yeah, it sure does. How you know yeah. weird? Huh? <laughs> like like literally like. The number of basics you need for each half deck is in the scroll basic lands. The the full arts would just throw it. Yeah. <laughs> so it it really just walked out for me. So yeah. But yeah, but I mean I I love unsanctioned. I, I remember it more fondly than I remember unstable. And it might have just been because I had no idea what was going on in Unstable. But yeah, uh I'm I'm looking at this set through one rose colored lens and a uh yellow stained lens. So we'll see how I remember this set. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. Um, it's definitely it's already infamous. I'll give yeah, it that. infamous is what. Yeah, uh, I know one of the biggest things that everyone is talking about since it was announced, pretty much, and that's kind of works because it's the next little section of our show topic. But it's the rules of Unfinity. There's basically I don't even know how to say. It. There's a handful of different rules that we need to be concerned about. Whether you're an Eternal player, uh, an Unset player a commander player, that sort of thing. So I think we're going to get into and let Liam break down most of those uh, because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And a lot of it has to do with like the stickers and that sort of thing. But I know I know you'll do it justice. So why don't you take that away for us? Yeah, the uh, the rules segment for Unfinity. There are three big things we're going to talk about. And they are the acorn legality, the attractions, and the stickers. We're going to start with the acorn legality because this is the easiest one. Um, the easiest way to look at this from a PDH perspective is anything without a stamp is PDH legal. I'm going to say that again. Anything without a stamp is PDH legal. This is because acorn cards or the stuff that's not a tonal legal have an acorn stamp, regardless of their rarity. Hmm. Commons through mythics. Yep. If it's acorn, it has an acorn stamp. The atonal legal cards follow normal stamping rules which means the rares and mythics have the oval stamp like usual, and the commons and uncommons don't have a stamp. So if your card has a stamp on it, you cannot play it in TDH without rule zero. An acorn stamp. If, if your card has, yeah, an acorn stamp. Yep. Or any stamp, because if it has an oval stamp, it's a rare. Well, that's you true. Can't play good point. Um, so yeah, so <laughs> no stamp, you're, you're good to go. That, that, that's it. That's acorn legality. Yeah, pretty straightforward. Attraction. General rules for the attraction. And you're probably going to play this section two or three times over, which is okay. Attractions are played in a separate deck. They are not part of your main deck. They are not cast. They are never put into your hand. 
When instructed by an effect to open an attraction, you take the top card of the attraction deck and put it into play. Each attraction has colored lights numbered one through six on the right-hand side of the text box. At the beginning of your first main phase, you roll a D6. And if your result matches any lit up lights on your attractions, you visit those attractions. Yes, one die roll can trigger multiple attractions. Some attraction names have multiple versions and the lights can be different on those different versions. If an attraction would leave the battlefield and go to a zone other than exile, it instead goes to the junkyard, the attraction deck version of the graveyard. If an attraction, which has the artifact card type, is being sent to exile, it just goes to exile. Effects that affect stuff in your graveyard cannot and do not affect the junkyard. Some attractions have basic MTG effects, some are wackier and have prizes if you win their minigames. Basic effects being make a token, scry one, some are wackier like stacking dice. For your deck construction, in limited, your attraction deck must contain at least three attractions and may contain duplicates. In booster drafts specifically, attractions are drafted like normal cards and are not to be removed from the booster. If you don't draft at least three attractions, you cannot use an attraction deck in draft. In constructed, your attraction deck must contain at least 10 attractions and must be singleton. That is, you cannot have multiple attractions with the same name, even if the lights that are lit up on them are different. This is important because in Pauper, we only have eight eternal legal attractions, which means in yes. Pauper 60 card and in PDH, you cannot play with attractions unless you rule zero in the two common acorn attractions. Yep. Moving on to stickers, general rules. There are 48 sticker sheets, each containing three name stickers, three art stickers, two ability stickers, and two power toughness stickers. There are no repeats on any stickers except in the power and toughness. Some effects instruct you to put a sticker on something. Others will specify the type of sticker. Stickers do work on tokens. Name and art stickers are always free. Ability and power toughness stickers cost tickets. Ticket counters are a new type of player counter, just like poison or energy. When instructed to place a sticker, you may either place a free name or art sticker, or you may also pay the ticket cost for an ability or power toughness sticker and place one of those instead. You with me so far? I think so. Okay. So far, so good. When it comes to the stickers, there are corner cases. A sticker's physical location does not matter. They just walk. There are a few acorn exceptions, but these cards tell you in a text box. That is, there are a few acorn cards that care about the placement or contents of your stickers. Mm -hmm. You can never sticker anything you don't own. Emphasis on own, not control. Right. Here's, here's a big rule thing I saw earlier today. If something would enter the battlefield with stickers, and for some reason does not enter under its owner's control, the controller of this permanent does not get to place any stickers because they don't own the effect. Yep. You must always announce what a sticker is doing as you place it. This is important because sometimes cards care about when, how, or what is placing the sticker. So when you're placing a sticker, you must always announce what is doing it and why. Yeah, you can't just slap one on there. Yep. Deck construction. In limited, you choose three sticker sheets from among those you opened at the start of each game, not match. You can change sticker sheets between games with the same opponent. This would be terribly difficult, though, because you do not draft sticker sheets. You pull them out of the draft pack <laughs> before passing. So, theoretically, you only have three sticker sheets. Right. It's an unset. That's why I said theoretically. In constructed, you must bring at least ten different sticker sheets. No repeats. Before each game, choose three at random. Those are the sticker sheets you get for the game. Note I said you must bring at least 10. You cannot bring more than 48 because there are only 48 unique sticker sheets. That's it. That's what you get. That's a lot. Your legacy events will, will not be bothered that much by stickers, I promise. 
like it, it's not going to matter. Yeah, I think that's that's a good way to put it. There was a whole uh, uh, Morrow did a whole drive to work podcast or whatever about corner cases like you have here, and he was talking about that same thing, like uh, how a lot of legacy players are upset that stickers and attractions and infinity is going to ruin their format. And he's like, basically the whole the whole point of the episode was it's not really going to happen. It might happen once or twice, <laughs> but it's not really going to happen. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> one that that I see happening is name stickers. Because art stickers really won't affect anything outside of Acorn Code. And mm. ability stickers and power toughness stickers you have to pay tickets for. And building up the tickets for them can take a while. Yes, you do have the persistent undying. Both abilities are on stickers. So like if you get both of it, but they're each only on one sticker sheet. So when you're pulling from when you're pulling three at random from a selection of ten, right, someone do the math or type the equation in the comments, but you're gonna have to bank on getting one of one the one sheet that has persist and the one sheet that has undying. Good luck. Right. And then like the the power toughness stickers just cost too much for for ticket counters. So like the only ones I really see being relevant are the name stickers, but on, that's only going to get around stuff like Fifing Needle. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it might violate it might violate the legend rule because you know you play Jace the Mind Sculptor and then you put the Eldrazi name stick on him, so now he's El you know Eldrazi Jace the Mind Sculptor, and you play your other Jace right. the Mind Sculptor. Yeah, you can have both in battle because they have different names. But oh well? Question mark? Like, I feel like yeah, at that, that point you've heard the it. whole point. Like, yeah, in my opinion, anyone right. with two Jace exactly. the Mind Sculptors on the field kind of deserves. To be winning that game, so I bring it I, on. I, right. I'm sorry, I just I you know I don't actively play Legacy. I played a little bit of it in college when I borrowed people with decks. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's going to be a problem. No, you, you, I think once a month we'll hear a story or see a story on social media about how someone lost a 1K Legacy tournament at their LGS to a freaking sticker, and that'll be the last we hear about it. <laughs> I hope so. Like... <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I would I mean, be delighted sure, to hear stories about how stickers are ruining Lexi. <laughs> that would entertain me endlessly. Like, show show oh. me the sticker meta. Show me show me it affecting like show actual me tournaments. The sticker meta. <laughs> I think we just found a name. For <laughs> show me the sticker show me meta. The sticker meta. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that is yeah. great. Oh, I think that's Lexi's secret plan is you know to kill Legacy with stickers, not by abolishing the reserve list. Bring alchemy to Legacy. Ha ha ha! <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that was a very good breakdown, Liam. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you it, so it, much. It, it it actually helped me a lot because you put it very straightforward, and nothing like nothing vague. Like it's all very easy to understand. Yeah. So appreciate it. It I helped like it. me enormously as well. I am, uh, to be honest, I've been paying very little attention to the Infinity stuff just because of Otherworld, and I didn't really know what was going on until a while ago, and now right. I now I do. I'm learning well, what's, on the moment. What I find fascinating is, and I, I can't remember who I saw say this on Twitter, and I'm sorry if you listened to the show and it was one of our listeners that said this, but when you look at the Unfinity set without the attractions, and the reason I say without the attractions is because if you're looking at this from a pop-up standpoint, we knew from the very beginning of Storyless Season we could not play attractions because we didn't have enough in Constructed, because they, gave, they mm -hmm. gave the full breakdown in that article right at the start. So we didn't pay any attention to it. Anyone who's looking at it from a Papa lens looked at the whole set without attractions, and it just kind of feels flat. It feels stale. It feels empty. That's because so many of the cards we're about to talk about reference stickers or attractions. And if you're not playing with one of those, half the set loses all utility because all of the basic effects, like pumping your team or scrying a card or making a token, all these basic magic effects don't exist on cards. They exist on the attractions. And if you can't right. play with the attractions, attractions, a lot of the cards just don't 
do anything. <laughs> and we'll talk about that more in a second, but like that's kind of my whole outlook on Infinity is it just feels empty. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I know I mentioned it actually in the pre-show and I think I might have put it in the show notes, but I'm, I'm kind of the same way. Like I th- it does. It just feels like there is, it's all on the surface. Like there's nothing below the, below that. It, it is kind of hollow and kind of empty. Yeah. I think it's going to be really, really fun within its own context. Like yes, just absolutely. And I, I think that's why every time you, anyone brings up an unset, the first few comments or first few replies you get is, Oh, but the drafting, the limited environment was so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the only thing the unsets have ever been to me. I'm three sets yeah, deep. Right. Every single one of them has just been a, a really entertaining draft environment that I have dropped way the f- too much money. I sorry, uh, for, <laughs> sense of that. way too much money Beep. on, and and not regretted it because like I I spend the money, I I get exactly my money's worth, if not more, entertainment out of those events, and then I put the cards away and don't bring them into Legacy and like don't care that they're not like right. you know, because I've I've had my fun and like this one has changed that in that some of these are technically legacy legal or eternal legal or whatever and like having seen them i don't care like they're legal but they don't do anything so i'm not worried about it and i'm just i'm back to treating this exactly like every other unset that i've ever seen it's gonna be a really cool draft environment i'm gonna have an enormous amount of fun with it and uh i'm outside of embiggen i'm not gonna care about it (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty interested in in trying out the limited of this one. I I like it. It's it's drawing me to it. Yeah. It's strictly for like you were talking about, just the fun of the the drafting itself, the the environment itself for the set. Exactly. It's just going to be raw entertainment. Like I've always mm-hmm. I've always had the most fun with magic games where you're just like you're trying to make your deck do an interesting thing and like not necessarily trying to win, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. I'm so drawn to casual popper EDH, but like Yep. Usually when I go to limited draft sealed events, I'm very focused on my decks winning. Mm-hmm. But with unsets, I can just be like, I don't care who wins this game. Look I'm what just I did. Screw around with the clowns and like yeah, yeah. And the right. robots, and, robot yeah. clowns. Like what's not to love? And like I don't care what happens. I'm just there for laughs. Like maybe get some booze involved. Like yeah, we'll see what happens. Hey, who knows? Hey, could go yeah. anyway. Yeah, crack a few. Yeah. Exactly. So. Now, do we know? I assume the uh, the attraction cards themselves are going to be in foil. Are there going to be foil options? Yes, there are foil options. I wouldn't mind collecting all the. I wouldn't mind collecting all the attractions. Those are very intriguing to me. Not to do anything other other than just have. I them, wouldn't do it I right out like the gate. Are, no, it, it'll be a little yeah. while for sure. But yeah, they're just there's something neat about them that obviously they've never existed before in Magic, and they're a whole new thing. And I don't know. I'm big into chaotic carnivals and space and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, with that excellent technical breakdown, I think we can kind of move into a handful of the cards that we did want to talk about. First, we have up what we can use, what is new, what is interesting in the 99 of our PDH decks. Um, I guess I'll start since Liam put me first on the list. I actually like red one, and I lost the sheet already. Circuits Act. Not Circus Act. Circuits Act. It is a sorcery for two and a red. You roll a six, three. You roll three six-sided dice for each different result. You create a one-one clown robot artifact creature token. I've never been really huge into rolling dice in Magic: The Gathering, but this one, this one sounds really fun. Mm-hmm. 
like you're rolling dice and creating tokens like there was we had some of that effect before and afr and that sort of thing but this just adds to it and it and it creates clown robots yeah i don't know everything about that just is fantastic this sounds fun this card is going to see play in a number of my decks i I believe so and not just for like the memes like I think I, it'll just fit right in, whether it's synergy or tokens or I, whatever. I, I talked last week about Carter. This might go into Carter. Ooh, it's okay. Got, I mean, it's it's absolutely for sure going into Jury, which is a very similar-ish black-red aristocrat stack. The Jury does a bit more artifact things, and is also clown-themed, and clown-flavored. So Circuit's Axe is right. perfect. It's amazing. To me, this feels a lot like molten birth molten birth is the three mana sorcery that makes two elementals and then you flip a coin and if you win the flip you put the card back into your hand and you can make more later oh this yeah is, oh, wow i had forgotten about this that to card. me is like the exact same cards but with dice rolling still the three mana sorcery you sure. probably make two or three tokens and it's a little bit random and you get the tokens and you're good yeah, yeah. exactly and it's fun the it's whole way as good as hordling outburst outside of dice no, rolling synergies sure. i mean like if you're playing if you're playing a character that cares a lot about dice rolling then this is better but yeah in terms of token creation it's uh it's usually a portaling outburst and that's fine mm-hmm. yeah yep i am perfectly okay with that what about you dave i know there is one particular card that that, that uh <laughs> struck your fancy what so you first got? first i need to backstory this a little bit and tell you about the card from uh <laughs> baldur's gate called Drillworks mole which is a an artifact creature it's like a one mana artifact creature with a, an activated ability for two mana. You can tap it to put one plus one plus one counter on it and one plus one plus one counter on your commander. And interestingly, mm-hmm. this card is uncommon. So if it is your commander, two mana and tap it, you put two counters on itself. <laughs> Seems when good. the PDH pals were doing their Baldur's Gate set review, this card came up. And I just, for some reason, I started spamming the word in biggin into their chat over and over again in like increasingly large and like threatening letters <laughs> like that threatening. that became the official like word for what the drillworks mole does it does it, you know pay two mana tap and biggin and Embiggin. now by by the grace of all that is good and and pleasant in this world we have a card named embiggin embiggin yes we do embiggin is a one mana instant that gives target non-brushwag creature plus one plus one for each type, super type, and subtype it has. And uh, yep. the first thing I need to say about this card is that it is it's most of the time it's basically a giant growth, which is a fair and balanced card, and that's fine. Sure. Uh, sure. One man. From fine. a design standpoint, I absolutely love this card because it is perfectly reasonable to give bonuses based on types. Uh, the only way that gets really, really broken is Changeling, and they have solved that problem with the words non-brushwag creature. Mm-hmm. I applaud so them for that. That was very it's clever. incredibly clever. The yep. other thing I really want to talk about with Embiggen is like the the deck I have that cares a lot about giant growth effects is uh, I have a deck for Sir Farin, the Henge Hammer, which is from mm. Eldraine. He's the green legendary knight. He's a two mana two two with the ability when he attacks. Another target attacking creature gets plus X plus X, where X is Farin's power. So my Sir Farin deck is 33 forests, 33 one mana attackers, like one mana creatures that can attack, and then 33 pump spells. The, mm. the math just oh. works out perfectly. 
to do this thing. So sure. every single game, it's turn one, you play a one-man attacker, like Jungle Lion or Brass Gnat or just, just some mm-hmm. idiot creature. It doesn't even matter what it is. Turn two, you play Sir Farron. And turn three, you play Rancor, Giant Growth, and something else, and you attack someone for 26 damage. <laughs> That's yep. the deck. Sounds it's right. very consistent. <laughs> it's very, very bad. <laughs> But it's it's really fun. It entertains me enormously. So a huge part of the reason I'm excited about Embiggen is that uh, Sir Farin is a legendary creature human knight. So Embiggen is going four. to give him plus four, plus four for a single mana. So for him, it's better than Giant Growth. The other reason I'm unreasonably entertained by this card is that that deck contains a Brushwag. That's beautiful. <laughs> the card Almighty Brushwag is in that deck. He's one of my... He's one of Amazing. my 33 one-mana attackers, <laughs> and I cannot target him with this pump spell, and you that cannot target is him with it. <laughs> hilarious. That is, that is my story about Embiggen. I love it. Liam, what do you got? What's your, what's your main pick here for your 99? Yeah, so the main pick for my 99 is Six-Sided Die. Yeah, you know, I just like to roll D6s. That's it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, the card, that's the card itself. That's all. Yeah, the card itself uh, is a two-and-a-black instant. There's three mana. Choose target creature and roll a six-sided die. Based on the result, you have one of six effects, all of which kill the creature, hence the card name six-sided die. The first effect doesn't technically kill the creature, but it it sets the base toughness to to one until end of turn, so in more cases than not, the creature will end up dying. The second effect puts two neg-one-neg-one counters on the target. The third effect uh, deals three damage to the target, and you gain three life. The fourth effect says the creature gets minus four, minus four until end of turn. Fifth effect says destroy it. And the sixth effect says exile it. I'm excited to play this card in every single one of my mono black decks. Like, that actually seems pretty good. Like, like straight up. Or at least reliable. Straight up, it seems reliable. Like, yeah, n- you know, the, the only two effects that say straight up get rid of it are the last two. Which, okay, a third of the time, you just straight up get rid of the creature. Destroy it or exile it. Okay. Yeah. Half the time, you're almost guaranteed to destroy or kill it. Because the only thing getting above a 4-4 is something that's already beating you in the face. Or something that is, you know, getting countered. So, it's going to kill most things. In most PDH games, nothing is really that big above 4 toughness. So, okay. I'm okay with that. The second and the third one, while not outright killing, uh, you know, big things, it'll kill most middle game creatures. And the first one, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't kill the creature, but if you use this as a combat trick, it most assuredly will kill the creature if they choose to block with it. So I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I I'm excited for this card. It seems much more powerful than it reads, in my personal opinion. It really does. I think design, it's templating, makes it feel sillier than it actually is, mm-hmm. but there is a lot going on yeah. here. Yeah. I read it and I was like, whoa, this can't be real. Turns out it is. Uh, and I'm ex- Turns out it is And real. I'm excited that it is eternal legal. Yeah, that one's going to be really yeah. fun for us. And it seems worth playing. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you're running out of removal spells, not that we have a shortage of them yeah. in, you know, in common, but it just seems like a good one. And especially if you're in some sort of Rakdos thing where you care about dice rolling. Exactly. I'm on board with that. Yeah. When I read the the notes, show notes, that's what they're called. Why couldn't I come up with show notes? Yes. When I read the show notes, I got to the part where Liam said he wanted to talk about six-sided die. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of cards that use six-sided die in this. Like, that's... <laughs> I swear to God, I thought the same thing. Like, oh, he wants to talk about the dice rolling cards. I guess I'll talk about all the circus and robots and clowns. Forgot that it was... Uh, an actual an card, card literally named yeah there's a card named yeah. <laughs> yes. okay I'm on board it's now. beautiful 
That's a good card. I like it. We got it. We know what we're doing. I think one of the reasons I really like the card is... I'm going out of order. There's a new commander. Her name is Monoxa, Midway Manager. Mm -hmm. She is a four-mana Rakdos-colored 3-3 vampire employee who gets cool triggered abilities whenever you roll numbers, certain numbers on a dice. So uh, whenever you roll a three or higher, she gains first strike. Uh, if If the roll is four or higher, she also gains menace. If the roll is five or higher, she also gains lifelink. So if you mm-hmm. roll a 5 or a 6, she becomes a 3-3 three, three, First Strike Menace Lifelink, mm-hmm. which seems Sweet. really neat. I mean, like, I think the, the, the cool thing you can do with this commander is uh, put, play the, the cards that involve rolling d20s and kind of very yeah. consistently turn her into, like, you can... You can think about it as like yeah, because it doesn't say it doesn't say whenever you roll a six sided right. dice or six sided dice. It just right. says whenever you roll a three or higher, she gains first strike. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're using a, like a d20 and just very consistently rolling numbers that are bigger than four, what you have is a four mana three three first strike menace lifelink. Which mm-hmm. when you think about it, like I oh, like it'll it. always be on. Like it's cool that it's she's you can kind of rig it so that she's always on. But like e- even at her best, she's okay yeah yeah she's not even at her best she's still not busted she's still very easy to right. deal with she's she's just a, a creature with a, a a good stack of abilities but yeah, she, yeah she's a, a a rate monster if that's what they call yeah them. yeah and she also has the ability if you spend six mana you can roll a six-sided die and just try to get some triggers i'm not super enthusiastic about any of the commanders from this set but if i if i do build any of them it would be monoxa just so i can partner her without you know the 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 circuits acts and the six-sided die from this set and also all of the uh the 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 d20 die rolling from the old forgotten realm sets swarm of goblins Mm -hmm. hoarding ogre Mm -hmm. and miracles edict Uh, i think you could do some interesting neat stuff with that and just roll a lot of die and have a lot of fun it would be a bad deck i'm with Yep. That's the deck I would build. Should be pretty fun. Yeah. I, I am with you as well. I'm not super high on any uh, any of the uncommons that we could use as commanders without a rule zero conversation, even even still. I, I, I really like the one... That, there's just something about the attractions that I really like. So I, I am a big fan of some of the open and attraction commanders. We you know we got a Demir one, DK, Finder of the Lost. It's a generic, a blue, and a black for a 1-4. When it enters the battlefield, you open an attraction. When you draw, when you roll a dice, something happens. When you roll, something happens. When you roll, like I just like the idea of having an attractions deck, and I like the idea of visiting attractions. And like I do that in real life. If there's a carnival within two hours, I'm going. <laughs> I just I love fairs and carnivals and amusement parks and theme parks and all that sort of stuff so i love the idea of bringing that to a silly pdh deck i don't think i will ever try to build anything serious out of it because i I wouldn't want to end up being the guy that's just always like oh you want to play this weekend can i bring my attractions deck you know i don't want to be that guy but every now and then if i'm just tooling around or it's like already known that we're just going to have a super silly pod or what have you i am definitely bringing an attractions deck mm-hmm. because it sounds hella fun but outside of that i don't have any super interest in most of our commander options but i am with you that monoxa does seem pretty cool yeah well we'll see how she ends up yeah what do you think liam what do you got um how many decks are you going to build out of this set? I, I don't think i'm building anything brad I, I kind of fall in the same category of all the all the commanders that are tonal legal that you don't have to rule zero Almost all of them care about stickers or attractions. And like yeah. we said, the ones that care about attractions don't do anything because right. we don't have attractions. 
The ones that care about yep. stickers, they're just so unpredictable. Yeah, they are chaos. So, you know, if you're okay with that, cool. But but I, I you know, I, I enjoy chaos and unpredictable. I do. Uh, I just, I like there to be some control. And I just feel like with stickers, you lose that in deck building when you start the game and have to pick at random. You do, absolutely. So, so mm-hmm. I just, I'm not a fan so some somehow some way the commanders that care about dice rolling are the most consistent commanders in the set. Yeah, I, that's crazy. And that's a that's I, really and true. I think it's only because we have those D and D sets that care about D twenties. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only and like there's not a ton of that support. There's there's a little bit, not a ton. It's enough to be relevant in an unset. Yeah, enough to be a semi theme or semi build around. Like, or something. I can't believe that in 2022 in Magic, I'm saying thanks to the D and D set, the unsets have playable dice rolling cards. <laughs> Excuse me, what? Um, oh, yeah, Magic 2022. I, happy 30th. Yeah, happy 30th. So I, you know, there's no commander in particular that I'm like screams at me to build there's no commander here that you know has me particularly excited i will tell you what i am excited about and is it commander that doesn't care about spell casting <laughs> um and is it commander <laughs> that cares about art stickers on your stuff mm-hmm. i i like that but I, that's not enough to get me to build them i also i don't like the subtype employee being legal in in a tunnel like oh they were hold on, they were azra's in this set i didn't even know there was an azra mm-hmm. wow Okay, a uh, quick fixer uh, is an Azra employee. But yeah, so back, I don't, I don't like employees. Performers, I can look past. Guest is annoying as well, but I can look past it. But employee does not, I don't like it. What if it has been Carney and not employee? <sighs> I think, I think I'd be more okay with it somehow. Even though employee <laughs> is infinitely more transferable to any plane, I think I'd, that, oh, I true. think I'd be That's more okay point. with it. But yeah, no, it's of of all the new types introduced, alien guest, performer, employee. Employee is the one that rubs me the wrong way. Not even alien. Alien doesn't rub me did, the wrong way, and I don't understand it. Did the wedding set, the Crimson Vow, did it have performers and guests? Did they? I don't I don't think it did. But it feels like it should have now. Let I me let me I don't know. While while I'm talking and not totally doing a Skyfall search for that Crimson Vow. I'm on it. Yeah. So I no guests in Crimson Vow. Nope. And definitely no employees. Um, but yeah, no. So like, yeah, no, no performers. Yeah, I think guest and performer would have been fine in that set in in Crimson Vow. Sure. I wouldn't want to see them at large in a total magic, but I think they'd be mm-hmm. fine. And as no, as sure. long as they don't like stick employee in every freaking set, I'll, I'll be okay. But yeah. So yeah, I like I like my vanilla creatures to still have a relevant tribe. I, I like my magic cards to be not relevant to the real world. Yeah, I don't want to leave work and then think about employees. <laughs> Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm just scrolling through, and I'm like, if I had, to, if I had to build one of these, I don't know. Like, you know, Dave took Monoxa, so I'm not gonna choose that one. Uh, but I'll go equally mm-hmm. as cheap, and I'll do a DK Finder of the Lost because even though DK enters the battlefield and opens an attraction, she has effects that care about rolling dice as well. Yes. Yep. That was my choice. However, mm-hmm. you have to I roll. Like you have to roll part, a yes. specific number. Um. So the D20 cards don't really do much for DK. <laughs> actually hot yeah she only cares about two four yeah, and six. you have to roll a two roll a four yeah so yep yeah i Ooh. think it might be dk it might even just be space family goblins then, because then i can just roll a bunch of dice and swing but yeah yeah it's goblins that cares about dice rolling so yeah i i just i'm not impressed with any of these commanders at all no you don't want to build ambassador blippity blorbity boop ambassador blippity blop boop no <laughs> 
I'm good. Cool. One thing I am pretty excited about, though, is as with all the unsets, we get a pretty sweet cycle of basic lands. What do you guys think of the basics, Dave? How about you first? Oh, they're incredible. They are. Yeah. I love them. I'm a huge fan of all of them. I'm not a huge fan of the Unfinity logo. Yeah. On on the one cycle of them, but the art almost makes up for I it. I don't understand how the Infinity logo made it onto one cycle, but not the other. Because one is, I heard someone reference it, and maybe everyone knows, it's just the first time I've heard it. One is an orbital view. Yeah. Like one cycle is orbital art, and the other one is terrestrial art. Yeah, but like, I don't... I don't understand how the Infinity logo affects that. Right. I don't know why. I don't understand how, whether yeah. it's orbital or terrestrial. And I guess someone could make the argument that, like, well, it's so you can know which card goes which cycle. Like, yes, but you should be able to tell that by the artwork. Are you on the ground or are you in space? <laughs> um, yeah, kind of. I, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I like the terrestrial art more than I like the orbital art, but I hate that logo in the middle of the artwork. So, like, I'm not. I I'm not too. excited about either of these that cycle. And I don't even dislike the logo. It's just, it seems so big. It is huge. Like they could have like made it a little transparent and smaller or something. Anyway, I think, I'm sorry, Dave. I think I totally cut you off. No, I I have nothing to add to the basics discussion. I have, okay. I, I've been a huge fan of unset basics for a long, long time. And these is uh, mm -hmm. it's just another great, another great tradition in the long line of fantastic cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They really are. I, they're all beautiful. So you know, if if we're li if we're nitpicking on the logo, then that means they're probably all pretty damn sweet. Yeah. It's funny that I'm nitpicking on the logo, but my favorite full up basic lands are the Theris Beyond Death ones with the giant mana symbols in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Just just casual. But rolling it back to the commanders real quick. I, something I completely oh, forgot so. to uh, talk about. I hate the uh, separation of Acorn versus Eternal commanders. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the monocolor commanders, who cares? Uh, I'm talking about the, the two-color legendaries. How did seven of them end up Eternal Legal and three of them ended up Acorn? That bugs me so much. Like, I wish it was like five and five. Like, five were Eternal, five were Acorn. And before someone comments or asks me on Twitter saying, well, it's because of the mechanics of the cut. I understand it's the mechanics of the cut. I'm talking about like how was how how did design not catch that and be like oh we're gonna make like the five allies uh, acorn and the five enemies eternal you know adjust adjust the mechanics right. accordingly um, but I'm just like <laughs> it bugs me so much it bugs me so so much yeah that the split like that as someone who used to be obsessed with building only legendaries and has since decided to branch out that would bug me endlessly <laughs> to have an uneven cycle like that yeah i that i don't know if that's something i ever would have noticed until you brought it up and now i am bugged by it right <laughs> um yeah so now that i've now that i've uh, uh brought us in the acorn command are there any that y'all are looking at maybe rule zeroing I would love to try out Assembled Ensemble. Four and a white for a star six clown robot bard. With Vigilant, its power is equal to the number of robots you control. And whenever you cast a spell with an artifact creature in the art, you create a 1-1 one, one clown robot artifact creature token. Like that sentence just, other than maybe being a little meta and paying attention to the art on the card that you're casting, which is very unset. Like that whole sentence just got a little better with each word like there's cl clowns and there's robots and there's artifacts and it's a mono white you know commander that's amazing the only problem i have with it is the circuits act and the other few that are robots are mono red so i'm not sure how i'm gonna mash those together the clown robots are mono red and the assembler 
ensemble is mono white, but I'm willing to give it a shot. So if I had to pick an acorn commander, I definitely think it's the, the clown robot bard. Okay. You got one, Dave? I want to talk about Haber Thrasher. That's a badass That's name. That's a great name. So Haber Thrasher is a two mana, two, two with death touch. She's a human hatificer assassin. Hatificer. Hatificer. Not, not an artificer. <laughs> Hatificer. And okay. she has the ability whenever another creature that has a hat enters the battlefield under your control, or a hat sticker is put on a creature you control, each opponent loses one life. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, partly I, I just think this is entertaining. Like, the idea of just going through all of my black cards and finding things that are wearing, like, hats or helmets. <laughs> or, like, I think there's some cards that, like, aren't wearing hats, but there's hats in the... Like, I think the card Burglar Rats... There's a there's a helmet like a discarded helmet in the background of the card burglar rat. So like, but but the creature counts. doesn't have the hat. The creature doesn't have the hat. The creature has the hat in its basement. It owns the hat. No, it doesn't. Own yeah, it stole it. It's a burglar. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's I think it's the rat's hat. I'm pretty sure ownership. Mm. Yeah, I I have no mm. idea. I mean, like I would I would love to have that argument with people in the middle of a game. That would be funny. But. uh yeah, I, I love the idea of this this hat artwork. And like the other reason I want to mention it is um like a year or two ago. I gotta be quick? Real quick. No, real for quick. me, real quick, I'm gonna okay. butt in. If I did it correctly, we have seven hundred and forty six cards at common that have hats in the art. Oh, how many of them are mono black? Ooh, color. Two. Uh one hundred and thirteen have black, but the that's also counting like the multicolor Rectos, Abzan, Orzov. Can can you so switch you, it to D I? Yeah. B? If you do ID equals B. Or or, or CI colon B. I'm getting yeah. 65. 101. I'm, I'm, I'm getting... Well, I'll, I'm getting 65 I have artifacts. creatures. Yep, I have artifacts. I, I literally look for hats in the art of any spell in Monoblock. Uh, artifacts, instant sorceries, all that. Yeah. I forgot to look for the for the creature. Yeah, so Scryfall will search. If you type art colon hat into Scryfall... It will show you all of the cards with hats and in the art. It, it only does this because this is not the first time we've seen hat effects. So there's been about four years for crowdsourcing the art tags. Yeah, pe people have gone yeah. through and like figured out. So yeah, there, there's some of these are debatable. Like if you're looking at Disciple of Tevish Zot, mm -hmm. Disciple himself is not wearing a hat, but he is standing in front of a scrying pool, and the scrying pool shows a Viking wearing a hat that is suffering. Yeah. So like, eh, one, two. Make some arguments. Uh, cemetery recruitment is on this list. I don't know if I would call what Liliana wears as a hat. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So there's you know? there's some debate to be had here, which is I think one sure. of the reasons that this Haver Thrasher is very funny. The other reason I think it's funny is that like two years ago now, a, an amount of time ago, I created uh my Moxfield account, and at the time. Uh, I was very briefly into this joke where every time I said the words PDH, I made up something completely random for what it stood for. Like for a while, I was calling it Peregrine Drake Highlander. And like anytime anyone <laughs> asked me what it was, I would just make up something completely different. And so on my Moxfield Perfect. profile, I, I said, I pretty much just brew for PDH, which means poorly domesticated haberdashers. Oh, you were you were foretelling. I, was apparently some kind of prophet. Like, I made that joke and then you thought were. about it for, like, two years. And then I, I just happened to be looking at my profile recently, and I was like, oh, damn. Oh, damn. <laughs> Thrasher. I am smart. And I have a date <laughs> with Destiny. You do. <laughs> you do. Yeah. So that's... that. If, if I if I built a, an acorn card, it would be Haber Thrasher. I like it. What do you got, Liam? Do you have a do you have an acorn commander for I us? I do. I do actually have an acorn commander this time. Uh, if... 
I was going to build an acorn commander, I would build the Grey Merchant of Alphabet. So for three black and black, you get a 2-4 zombie performer. And when the Grey Merchant of Alphabet enters the battlefield, choose a letter. For each creature you control that has the chosen letter in its name, you gain a life, and each opponent loses a life. So it's devotion to a letter, which I like. Yep. Not not each instance of the letter. Nope. Just, just the letter. Yep, just the, the letter. Does the creature have the letter? Check. Yep. All right. It counts for one. I I enjoy this effect. I think it's cute. It is. I right. have I have a little spoiler alert. Gary deck coming uh, for an upcoming 3x3 three three episode in a few weeks. Ooh. And I'm... I'm looking. Wink, wink. I'm looking at putting Gray Merchant as like a, a side eye commander with like no alterations to the deck. So like I have no idea what the, the correct letter at any point would be to choose. <laughs> I, I, but you know, my Gary deck focuses very much on sacrificing and looping him. It doesn't really matter what letter I choose as long as I can sacrifice and loop exactly. uh, this. And uh, yep. like any young zombie, Gary dreamed of escaping the underworld to join the circus. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I know we didn't touch on it until literally just now, but some of the flavor text is is just yeah. stellar. Like, <laughs> well, no pun intended, but it is just it's hilarious and it's funny and I love it. That's the acorn commander I would build. Well, I think that's a good one. The gray merchant is good. I love that art too. Mm-hmm. It's so nice. I mean, I know obviously the card is a callback to the original Gary, but the art is like mm-hmm. I would take that art on a regular Gary card. Oh yeah, it's so cool. Hundred percent. For sure. Well, I think that pretty well covers Unfinity for us. Is there anything else you wanted to add to it? We got a handful of listener questions we're going to get to, too, before we wrap things up. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go ahead and make a comment as to why we're talking about, like, six cards and then ending it. When when you look at the whole set, which is something like 250 cards, I think it's like 200, 244 exactly, 244 cards. You know, obviously not all those cards common. When you get down to it, you get we, we really wanted to talk about the the non acorn commons and then the all the commanders, regardless of acorn status or not. And the reason we decided to do it like that is because we were talking and we're like, when it comes to rule zero, from from our anecdotal experiences, it seems like getting people to rule zero a commando is much easier than getting people to rule zero a whole bunch of cards in the deck. Uh and you know what, in, in your at-home play group, if, if y'all are chill and, and you know, trust each other, by all means, do do you. But when you're sitting down with a group of strangers and you want to propose rule zero, you better have that elevator pitch ready of why this group of strangers should let you. Yeah, so we, yeah. it's much easier to walk in with one card as opposed to, here's my list of requests. Exactly. If you guys want to listen. <laughs> uh, and in addition, you know, we also saw a lot of brewing online around Rule Zero, specifically with commandos, not necessarily with cuds in the 99. So, you know, that that already cuts out half the commons in the set. Mm-hmm. But then when we started looking at it, there were only 60 commons in the set, not including the basic lands. 21 of those reference attractions or uh, attractions. 26 of those reference stickers or ticket counters. And 15 of those reference dice rolling. Yes, yep. there is some overlap, like in the command performance, it references uh, attractions and stickers. But when you take all of that out, when you take out the dice rolling, when you take out the attractions and the stickers, there are two cards <laughs> in this set for, for <laughs> proper players. We have Inbigin and One Clown Band, which is a card we didn't talk about, but I'm about to talk about it because it deserves this honorable mention. It does. It, it's put in some work It already. is one in red for a 1-3 artifact creature clown robot bud. 
You heard that right. It is an artifact clown robot bud. And for awesome. two and a red, target robot gets plus two plus zero until end of turn. It is programmed robot to play. Tribal. It is programmed to play more than seventy instruments and only one song. <laughs> so the song yeah. is it's a small world after all. Um, stop. I, I, Get it would out. Have to be. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so that's why that's why this set review was focused a lot on like the rules of Infinity and and less so more on the cards because there just isn't a lot for because really a, a, a card review of Infinity could have could have been spent in like a tweet or two. Yeah, this uh, I'm I'm going to try and find the quote of what I said because I didn't put it in the show notes. Who remembers what I said? This this I hear this. This set feels like what a Universe is Beyond draft set would be if the chosen Universe is Beyond IP was, quote, alternate universe magic. <laughs> yep, that's exactly that right. is That is how I sum up this set in one sentence. Yep. I think it's a good set. I think it will be a lot of fun to draft. I think outside of that, we're going to see Embiggen, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and you may run in just like the... Uh, the random legacy player, you may run into an acorn card at your table or a sticker at your yeah. table or something crazy, but yeah, it, it, they won't be running amok. I really like Embiggen, though. Yeah, I, I think... Embiggen's awesome. Embiggen is I very think good. for our proper formats, we just kind of get we, we kind of get screwed out a little bit because of attraction. Yep, I would have liked two more non-acorn attractions. That's all I got when it comes to Unfinity cards. Yeah, I don't think I really have anything else other than what we've talked about as far as Unfinity goes. You got anything, Dave? Mr. Unman? No, I think there's there's really not a lot to this set for us, I think. And like I've already said, like I think this is going to be a really fun draft. I think it's going to be interesting yep. sealed decks. I I think that I was really salty for a while. For a hot minute, I was salty about these being not exclusively silver-bordered and like the, the intrusion into the Eternal formats. But like I, mm-hmm. I've seen the cards, and I'm over it, and I am. it's not going to be a big deal. Uh, I because it's not going to be a big deal. I'm not sure why they did it, mm-hmm. but I am now convinced that at its core, it is not going to be a big deal, and I can just I can enjoy this unfinity within its own context uh, and do my drafts, and then I can come back to PDH and not be bothered by anything weird or nonsensical yeah. or awkward. And I'm I'm really okay with that. Well put. Well put. Yep, I don't really have anything to add that would be beneficial. I pretty much mirror everything that both of you said. So I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some of the cards that I think are just fun or sweet, throwing them in a box in my closet. Uh, this set probably, I think this set has me interested enough to go to a draft. I hadn't even thought about the sealed environment. That's probably a, a, a hoot, honestly. So I might hit, hit up one of those. But like you, that's going to be about the extent of it. Leave the shop after the draft, come home, and just sort of forget about it play my normal pdh deck so but we'll see how it goes should be fun either way i think but now we can move on to some listener questions and completely forget about infinity <laughs> liam what's the first question yeah so our first question uh what acorn cards from infinity most benefit one of your existing pdh builds <laughs> dave uh so <laughs> the, the really quick backstory here is that uh about a year and a half ago in january of 2021 uh my wife and i bought a house and as as part of our housewarming gifts, we received fire extinguishers from like four completely different people. That's amazing. Oh, there are four right. fire extinguishers in my basement, which means 
there's a card in the set called Mistakes Were Made, which is like a naturalize that then creates a squirrel token for each fire extinguisher you can see from your seat. Oh, so my God. I can with without changing really anything. I don't have to put a lot of effort into setting this up, but I could if I were playing in my basement. Naturalize sure. the thing and then make like four squirrel. That's amazing. Seems all right. I also yeah. just like the name. It Mistakes seems, uh, were made. Pretty legit. <laughs> Breaks a thing and then yeah, there are squirrels everywhere. Like yeah. fire extinguishers. Sounds fun to cast it. Yeah, yeah. the whole yeah. thing seems cute. Yeah, it does seem pretty cute. I don't know that I have one, honestly. Um, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the acorn cards, so I'm not sure that any are going to make it into a deck of mine. There are some that that seem fun, like scooch i don't know it's a fun name it's a black card it's an instant you add or subtract one from target creature's power target creature's total life or target dice die roll and then you draw a card like it seems simple enough to slot in just about anywhere Mm -hmm. without like without you having to explain the card to the group or to the table or to your opponent but technically it is an acorn card so i'm still trying to stay like closer to the magic side than the infinity side Mm -hmm. So just your your basic cards like that. Uh, I, I've said it before earlier, but I'm really intrigued by the... Not intrigued. I think that's too powerful of a word. I think the attractions are going to be fun, but I worry that they're only going to be fun for like five minutes or less than one game's worth of play. One like PDH game's worth of play, and then I'll be over them forever. But either way, they look fun. I'll definitely try them at least once, uh, even if I have to rule zero in some uncommon attractions or the acorn attractions or what have you. So... But I think that's about my only contribution to that question. What do you have, Liam? So, I'll be totally honest. Uh, when I read this question, despite the fact it said acorn, I just thought it meant card from infinity, and I was prepared to answer this with six-sided die. Um, I kind of did, too. So so now that I've reread the question, uh, even though I'm the one that copy-pasted it into the document, <laughs> um, <laughs> I have come up with two. I think Puck Map would be an interesting card to play in decks uh it's a one mana artifact and you pay one and sacrifice it and you search a library for a land card that doesn't have the same art as a permanent you control reveal it and put it in your hand so while this isn't ramp it can get any land card which seems good in any deck that's not green and not green decks like Rakdos like you to sacrifice things and in particular artifacts so i think puck map would actually be kind of dope in 60 cards. Is this like a second expedition uh, map? Yeah, kind of. Like are, are, are you trying to run Tron in PDH? Yes, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, 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 Puck Map seems really good uh, in in PDH at large. The other card that I would say would be Nearby Planet. So, Nearby mm-hmm. Planet yeah, that's a good enters one. tapped. And it when it enters, you sacrifice it unless you pay one. And it has this ability called Range Lane. And I want to talk about this. This card is every land type, including plains, islands, swamp, mountain, forest, desert, gate, layer, locust, and all those Urza's one. So, <laughs> no, listen, you got to read it word for word. I did. <laughs> oh, you did. <laughs> it says in all those Urza's ones. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's beautiful. So, I want to talk about nearby planet real quick. The only land types here that inherently give it mana abilities or Plains, Island, Swamp, Mountain, Forest. Mm-hmm. None of those other land types inherently give land types. Or, or, or sorry, inherently give mana abilities. This does not tap mm-hmm. for colorless because waste is not a land type. 
Desert Gate, Leo, and Locust all do not provide colorless mana abilities. And then when I when we're talking about the Urza's ones, okay, it yes, the Urza's land type, but also Power Plant, Mine, and Tower. And I want to talk about those real quick because no, this land does not tap for seven colorless mana. No, it doesn't tap for <laughs> three colorless mana or two colorless mana. Okay, it's not how this works. The way that the Tron lands work is they say if you control, you know, Urza's mine, right? If you control Urza's power plant and an Urza's tower, add two colorless instead. It's not asking about the land types, it's asking about the card names. So yes. you don't get to tap this for three colorless mana because Urza's tower taps for three colorless. No, no, no. you need the card names. So no, this is not Tron land all in one. No, this does not mean, you know, you have Urza's mine and Urza's power plant. This takes the place of Urza's tower. No. Because this card is called Nearby Planets. Yes. That is the name of this card. Yeah, exactly. I think that the Urza's lands are checking for the types. And that's why they're checking. They should be checking for the card names. No, if if it... The the Oracle text is, if you control an Urza's Mine and an Urza's Power Plant, if it was checking card names, it would say, if you control a card named Urza's Mine... So I like, had this. I had this argument at home. Yep, it. it you're right. It's because yeah. it would be so, saying looking for a card named. Yeah. So yes, so this, like this, this can be a wild be, card. Yeah. This can be a wild card because the it can the card like Urza's Tower is named Urza's Tower, but then it is land hyphen Urza's yeah. Tower. Yeah. So the, the so, Urza's lands yeah. check for the card types. So like if you have yeah. an Urza's Tower and a nearby planet, then when you tap the Urza's Tower, it's going to see. Do you control an Urza's Mine? You do. It sees the planet. Do you control Urza's power plant? You do. It sees the same planet. And then Urza's tower will tap for three. Yes, but the nearby planet does not tap for three. The nearby planet does not have the ability to tap, add extra mana if you control these things. It only has the ability to tap for... If you had an Urza's mine and an Urza's power plant and a nearby planet, the Urza's mine and the power plant do tap for two colorless, but the nearby planet does not tap for three colorless. Need the Urza's power card fill in that. that fill in that spot. Yeah, yep. it is it is a it is a wild card. It is not a replacement. And I'm so excited to put this card into my uh, Judge Headache deck. Uh, it's an EDH deck, and it just runs everything, like Humility, Blood Moon, uh, Davy Maya, and Urborg. It's got <laughs> uh, what's the what's the Humility that was uh, on a cost? Oh gosh, it's from Out of Devastation. That's in there. Um, it's it's anytime I've had like a weird judge call, it's in that deck. Or if the card just has uh, a, a reputation for being stupid and obscene, it's in the deck. Uh, things that create weird uh, rules cases like uh, reconnaissance are in the deck. So I'm so excited to add this card there. It's not even funny. Sounds awful. But nearby planet fulfills domain all by itself. Oh yeah, correct. That too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting that it does not tap for mana. Like, it doesn't do anything other than be a bunch of different stuff. I'm actually <laughs> upset that this is Acorn. Like, I don't see a reason this couldn't be uh, an eternal legal card, other than future-proofing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. By the way, if you're playing with you know, me... I think, it's, I think it is pretty sweet. That was a good yeah, choice. By, that was by good the way, choice. if you're playing with me, you can absolutely play this card in your 99. Yeah, let's just put that Because I, I... You're playing in my, one of my streams or against me, feel free to play it. I'll probably be, probably be playing it. I will it. be playing it as well. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I want you to play it so I don't feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, besides that little minor rules headache there, uh, which means I might also have to add the Tron lands into my judge deck because they're not in there yet. 
Mm. Because they've been pretty straightforward up till now. But Ozostaka's in there. That's a good one. Kind of seems like a terrible one. one, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I've I've had level threes look at game states, could buy that deck and walk away. Uh, I oh, would beautiful. True. Yeah, it's I beautiful. would as well. <laughs> anyway, a next listener question: How often do the hosts prioritize? Who's it from? Oh, it, it's from uh, MC Debo on Twitter. And they ask, Perfect. how often do the hosts prioritize flavor slash theme over optimization in their deck building? Dave, I'll let you take this one. Yes, I have I have precise numbers for you. Uh, right oh, now, cool. I have Ooh. approximately Fantastic. 89 decks put together with paper cards. That's insane. Uh, yeah. Uh, of of <laughs> those 90-ish, exactly five are competitive. Okay. In those five, I prioritize mechanics exclusively. Uh, in mm-hmm. everything else, mm-hmm. I try to strike a balance between I want the deck to do what it needs to do mechanically, but I also want it to do so flavorfully. So there's a, there's going to be a couple sure. cards in the deck that are mechanically useless, but they're flavorfully on point. Uh, <laughs> and I adore those cards and wouldn't take them out for anything. But there's like ideally what you want to find is cards that can do both. Cards that will both do the flavor thing while also still doing the mechanics thing. I mentioned earlier I have a jury deck that is vaguely sort of aristocrats-ish. Uh, it's it's pretty different from the Carter deck I talked about last week, honestly, in that it does a lot mm-hmm. of treasure tokens, and it does it does a decent amount of what Brad was talking about, where it steals other people's creatures and sacrifices them. And uh, one of the best cards in it for that is the act of treason because act of treason has a printing that the art on it is very distinctly a rakdos carnival with an orzhov guy just like losing his mind and i i have to look this yeah it's a it's a great artwork um and it's very thematically appropriate because jury is a rakdos carnival clown and like i'll I'll run like the deck the deck should be running Terminate in its removal slot, but it's not. It's running Get the Point, which is the same card, but costs <laughs> over twice as much mana. But it's circus-flavored, so uh, yeah, we, we're we we're about the circus here. Uh, that's what I'm here for. So, like, I, I do it a fair bit, I think. Not There's a couple decks where I do it, like, egregiously. Most of my decks, I do it... I, I try to strike a, a good, healthy balance. That, that that's fair i think that's probably the best way to do it like for me for my answer generally flavor or theme is a is paramount to optimization a i'm not great at optimizing a deck at least not in pdh i'm, I'm decent at it in 60 card popper but for pdh flavor and theme is generally where i'm at when i feel that i have satisfied the flavor or theme requirement then i worry about optimization and competitiveness if if you guys could have seen my first build of Cormella, the uh, Act of Treason Tribal, it was absolute garbage, but it was probably one of the most flavorful decks I ever built. So that's when I pull back a little bit, take out some cards that I know are pointless. They just fit for the flavor. They just fit for the theme, but they need to go. And then I worry about a little bit of optimization. But in my first brew of a deck, and even, honestly, the first two or three streams, two or three pods I play with the deck... It's all about flavor. It's all about theme. Like I used to play this um, 
60 card popper night sky mimic deck i loved it it's probably still my favorite deck that i've ever played just white black night sky mimic with gift of orzova and edge of the divinity and all this cool stuff and for like six weeks i was going up to the shop every saturday to play popper they had a popper event every saturday afternoon and i played it one time and i lost i don't think i even made like top two or three or whatever i lost but I lost very spectacularly because I would get up to like 80 life and then my deck couldn't finish the game and I would still lose. Or I would lose to a Ulamog's Crusher that I couldn't handle. I'd be at 90 life with no permanence and I'd, I would just lose. Like, And it was such a cool deck that the next week I went back after playing that deck, everyone that was there the week before said, oh, are you playing that same deck? That was sweet. That was sweet. Are you playing that same deck? And they were like gen genuinely disappointed when I didn't play it. So for the next like five weeks, I just played that deck to make everybody happy because it was cool and it was very flavorful and it was fun, but I never won anything with it. So that's basically how I approach my deck building. That's awesome. As long as it's cool, as long as it's flashy and fun and everybody's like, ooh, that's neat. I'm happy with it. And then I'll worry about winning with it later on, like optimizing it and all that good stuff. Because you'll notice I have a Rilsa deck built. I have yet to play it. I haven't even played it once, not even off stream. Like, I just have it built. <laughs> what about you, Liam? You like flavor, theme, or crushing people's dreams? Yeah, uh, I am 100% flavor-driven when I'm building. Um, I, I often look at cuds and I'm like, do I play the good cud or the flavorful cud? And, you know, while Dave likes to have a nice balance in his choices, um, I don't know what that is. Oftentimes, I find my deck not functioning for six months <laughs> while I figure out what the problem is. And then I get sad when the problem is I'm not playing anything that's remotely good. Yep, I had that problem. So, like, like I'll be honest. Uh, those who were, who were on or have watched had watched the stream of Brad stream that I was on two or three weeks ago, and I built a Miara and Numa deck on the fly of stuff I owned. That deck is stronger than most of the stuff that I actively brew. Um, <laughs> Which is a little sad. Yeah, it was actually it, impressive. It was, like the the power level. It was a little sad that I was playing it and I was like, "This is really good. It needs to stop." And it's also missing a lot of key elves combo pieces. Like, it was it was it was a trip. Yeah. But yeah. So, I like to play with flavor, um, and that usually means coming up with some kind of theme for the deck. Uh, so you know, I've I've taken commanders and been like, okay. I'm, you know, this is a commander from Ravnica. I'm only going to play with cards that have Ravnica art. So, like, I, I like to do that. Uh, sure. I have a Slimefoot Old Border deck. I'm looking forward to building a Tatiova Old Border deck. And I, I like to kind of pick and choose themes for the deck that may reside outside of it mechanically so that the deck is more unique and, and different than what people may be used to. Very good answer. I like that. So I think that's pretty overwhelmingly that we all prefer to a certain extent flavor over theme but we do have competitive sides if necessary is that fair yeah yeah all right all right looks like we got one last question dave you want to read this one yeah i got you uh this question comes from rowan langford one and it is have you blinged out any decks that are now too flashy to be called pauper this is a fun question. That's a good question. Uh, you want to start us out, Brad? I do. The answer is sort of. Like, I have a couple decks. Like, I always try to add a little bit of bling to every deck, whether it's 
uh, a couple full art, you know, newer full art basics or a foil here and there or what have you. I, I specifically, I'm actually going to change my answer here that I have in the show notes because it just occurred to me. When I found the composite golem list, my five color composite golem list, I'm like, that is really cool. That's a cool deck. I think it was like the second or third PDH deck I have ever built in paper. I pretty much net decked the whole thing except for a couple of like newer upgrades or what have you. I ordered it on, I, I put it all in my TCG player cart, whatever I was missing. I, I may have just ordered the whole thing just on a whim. And it came out to like, $22 or something. I'm like, well, hell, that's not bad. So then I just started looking for like alternate versions of the cards that were in the deck. And I ended up with, you know, foil bridges from Modern Horizons. I ended up with the full text box Terramorphic Expanse. I ended up with Secret Lair, Path of Ancestry. Like I ended up with all these really, really cool cards <laughs> and it only like doubled, doubled the cost of the deck. So yeah, that's definitely like my most blingy. It's got the most fancy, cool, shiny stuff in it. Like, I love just pulling the deck out and looking at the cards because they're very fun to look at. But even still, it, it like, came in under 60 bucks, I think. And that's, like, the average price of a 60-card pauper deck nowadays. Because <laughs> I've just, I've never been one that, like, I don't have foil. I've never owned a foil gush. Like, I don't have foils that are worth double-digit money mm -hmm. at, at the common level. So, I just, and I've never sought to purchase those things like mono white heroic is my favorite 60 card pauper deck like of all time and i won't buy foil trailblazers because they're six dollars a piece like i just won't do it you know so that's my answer i guess it's composite golem but it still falls kind of in the financial category of being pauper what do you got dave some of you very dedicated <laughs> listeners may remember an episode uh a month or two ago. devotees if devotees. you will devotees that's a good word uh, where we talked to some of the folks down at the deck database. And uh, mm -hmm. one of the things that came up is that I have a marsh crocodile list on the database that I had to create a separate Moxfield entry for because the, the list that I actually maintain for my marsh crocodile deck includes all of the like actual printings and actual foils that I have in the deck. And mm -hmm. because of that, Moxfield clocks it at about $630. Oh no. <laughs> um and that's not popular. And they wanted to the 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 people at the database were like one of the things we want to do with this database is give people a very realistic entry point. So like if you wanted to just put this deck together using the cheapest possible printings and you were just ordering everything off TCG player, how much would it set you back? And so they asked me to create a a separate Moxfield entry using mm -hmm. more more intuitive card categories and <laughs> the cheapest printing of each card and that clocks in at uh 67 dollars so uh i i do have a now were there any cards that you couldn't make the make the changeover for because they didn't exist or uh, i mean the, the deck isn't completely foil i do have a separate deck that is completely foil and I had to like mm -hmm. take out cards from that, but it, it's not on the database, and I don't have to maintain okay. a separate list. My my Gilder Baron deck was the first ever pauper deck I built in 2013, and I have since completely foiled out every single card in that deck, and I am pretty proud of that. Like there's a yeah. So like <laughs> I I own exactly one foil muddle the mixture. And it's mm. not in the Marsh Croc deck. It's in the Gilder Baron deck. It's in the Gilder Baron uh, deck. Yeah. So. Staying true to uh, yourself. So yeah, there's, I love it. 
there's probably 20 or 30 cards in the Marshcrack deck that aren't foil. Things like Pestilence and uh, Curfew. I don't think I've ever gotten yeah. foil printings. And there's there's a couple of cards where I just, like, I have a a promo that I think is cool. Like, I, I found a the, the, the alt art Cavern Whisperer I think is great, and I just never ended up with a foil mm. of it. Mm-hmm. Looks, I'm looking now. Foils are really cheap. I could get a foil of that very easily, and then have the foil yeah, of definitely. the alt art. But like, once upon a time, I had a foil Ninja of the Deep Hours in this deck, which uh, I'm now seeing is uh, just shy of forty dollars. And a friend oh, of mine God. at the time for just the, the the regular printing or the Time Spiral. Oh, uh, just the regular printing. Betrayers of Kamigawa foil Ninja Ooh. of the Deep Hours. At the time I built this deck, a friend of mine was working really, really hard to put together an all-foil cube, and he didn't want to spend the then $6 on a foil ninja of the deep hours. So he begged and begged and begged, and I eventually relented, and I traded it to him for an Italian ninja of the deep hours, which in Italian is Ninja del Note Fonda or something. And he was like, it's funny because it's like Jane Fonda. And he like signed it for me, yeah. like, love Jane Fonda. And I was like, <laughs> okay, this is fine. So now I have an this I have an fine. Italian Ninja of the Deep Hours that's signed by a friend instead of a foil Ninja of the Deep Hours. So like, I tre- <laughs> Who's the real I treasure here? this Italian thing very deeply and I'm not going to try and replace that. But yeah. like, yeah, there's lots of things that like I don't have in foil, but I do have like, I, I have a foil counterspell from Masks. I have a foil snuff out in there. Yeah, friend of the show, Lobert builds a has a personal paper foiled out popper cube. It is a thing of beauty. That sounds like a thing of beauty. Yeah, the the Marshcrock and the Gilderbaron are the only decks that I've gone ham with. Most of my decks yeah. have no foils at all because I don't care enough to buy sleeves. You know, and I went kind of blingy with my Flesh Taker slash Illis Ilcor whatever from Dominaria deck, but that's really just like I have a couple foreign language cards. Like I have a foreign. Um, snuff out a italian suture priest some mystical archive cards stuff like that but nothing like the uh, composite golem deck what about you liam does this question even apply to you you don't even play foils so i don't i don't like foils um (laughs) i don't really play them i i will purposely like buy cards i have foils of to play non-foil versions um Mm -hmm. and so my version of bling looks a little different um but i think it's still i think it still qualifies uh I like to play budget allowing. It's a very big asterisk. The, sure. the closest to the original common printing that I can get. So things like go for the throat, that would be the printing in the 40k decks. Uh, so things like darkness, that will now be the printing in the 40k decks because of other reasons. But for things like uh, wild growth, well, Findhorn Elves, I go to the, the Ice Age block. And the Ice Age block is tends to be the, the usual cutoff point before things get excessive. Um, well, you got 3rd edition right before that. Those are those are amazing. <laughs> no, the White Borders are trash. Um, <laughs> sorry, I have, to, I have to put that in there too. Uh, black Borders only. You know, sometimes you go to like Arabian Nights or the Dark for certain staples like Oubliette or Felwar Stone. Um, and those can get expensive. Uh, but I'm also like Dave and I you know, don't really care about sleeves, which is going to make some of you cringe that I'm playing Arabian Night Oubliette and the Dark Fella Stone, which are both mm-hmm. $20 cards 
and not losing them. Yeah, I think you showed me um, your your Oubliette on stream, but, and it was it was well loved. But that's the thing is, I'm buying these cards as HP. So like you know, Arabian right. Nights Oubliette is forty bucks, despite the thirty cent version from Double Masters. But when I buy it HP, the two copies that I have, the one was twenty and the one was fifteen. I'm okay with that. Uh, the Felwarstone I have is very beat up. It's so bad. I think it was like eight bucks. And, you know, that's more than most people are probably willing to spend on a Felwar Stone when it's like a $2 card. But yeah. that's how I like to bling out my decks. Is I, like to, I like to play sure. common printings or, or old printings. Um, even, if the, even if the printing like wasn't a common printing, if it has a black set symbol. So like uh, the diamonds from Mirage, mm. they have a black set symbol, yeah, even okay. though they were uncommons. Yep. Um, so I like to play those over the Commander Legends one. Okay. So my most expensive deck is my old border uh, slime foot deck because it's all old border and you have to dig deep for some of those guns. Sure, so yeah. I have I have 20 Onslaught Forests in that deck, which are all oh, about beautiful. $2 a piece. Uh, mm -hmm. I have Desert from uh, time the, the original Time Spiral Time Shifted sheet, Felwar Stand, like I mentioned, uh, Crop Rotation from the Urza's Block, Sky Shroud Claim from Nemesis, uh, Nature's Claim from the new Time, time Shifted sheet, Nature's Lore from uh, Cold Snap, Elvish Mystic from the Time Spiral Sheet, Bajukabog from the Time Spiral Sheet, Snuffed Out from Masks, uh, Mobilized from a, one of the Portal sets, uh, Priest of Titania is a $7 card already, yeah. Ashnod's Altar is a $10 card, uh, and then the two big, the, the, the three big offenders in the set are the Felwar Stone, uh, Elves of Deep Shadow, and Oubliette, because these are all cards that can be bought for less than a dollar. <laughs> That I chose not to buy the dollar version. Yeah. The Elves of Deep Shadow from the Duck is near mint, like an eighteen dollar card. I think I paid somewhere around six or seven for mine, and it is beat up. Uh, but again, I'm not playing with sleeves, so I don't really care. I I, I am very right. uh, I like I like sleeveless cards. I like to play with them tactilely, and you know that. What does Dave call them? Feathery. That's a good description. Yeah. What does Dave what? You, you called your you used to. You know, you said you practiced shuffling with your cards when you were younger, uh, your magic cards, and now they're feathery. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought I said velvety. Velvety. Oh, is it yeah. velvety? velvety? Okay, even yeah. better. And, you know... Don't, it's a very good description. And don't get me wrong. Like, on the one hand, it would be cool to sleeve up this deck considering it's a $140 deck. On yeah. the other hand, I don't really care because it's not a $140 deck when the three $20 cards I bought for, like, 5 to $10 a piece, you shave, mm -hmm. you know, 30 40 bucks off right there. Um, a lot of the cost is really just in the basic lands, honestly. I I know I feel you there. And so, like, I do love some old border basics. Yeah, that's kind of it. Is I like to I like to be very uh particular with what printings I'm putting in what decks, and and that's how I bling out my decks. That is fair. That's a good one. I like it. I love all the old border stuff. And I know I know that list of cards that I gave out. I'm sure there are people cringing that like the Elvish Mystic and Bajukabog from the Time Shifted Sheet are being played unsleeved. And I I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm not sorry. No, gives no f. Yeah, and uh, Dave, we need uh, not Dave. Uh, Brad, we need to talk about snuff out. Oh, okay. Uh, if I sent you a Mercadian Mask snuff out, would you send me that Spanish mm. one? Do that. Mm. I think I, I, I'll have to think on that one. Because I bought it one in, in the same order as I bought the foreign language suture priest mm. strictly for flesh, like specifically for flesh taker. Like I didn't just have gotcha. it. So because I I knew I don't ever want to pay for a foil snuff out. So I thought, hmm, a foreign language one is kind of bling. So I'll put that. Uh, in there. Oh, a, a foil is expensive. What's, yeah. what's the what is snuff out in Spanish? 
I believe it's Apraga. Apaga is what it was. Apaga. Yeah, like A P A G A R or something like that. Apaga. Apaga. That's pretty sweet. I'll send you the picture of it. It's awesome. Yeah, too. Yeah, I, I I saw it. I saw it in one of his hands uh, from when he's posted about his streams, and it was. I, I looked at it. And I was like, "That's either Spanish or Italian," and I really wanted to be Spanish. I looked it up. I was like, yeah. It, yeah. All right. Well, was it just me, or did we have more of, more of a good time answering those questions than we did talking about Infinity? I I, I, don't... I, <laughs> I like telling my cast Infinity story. Yeah. Hey, that is a fantastic story. This has definitely been an Infinity and unconventional set review. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Wizard, for the nonstop content. Oh, all right. We we do have a couple more things to talk about before we wrap it up for the week. But in the meantime, if you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, any uh, listener Q&As, that sort of thing, you can email, email us at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Homebase's website. That will take you to the Discord server. You can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And as always, you can find Dave the Alcadron Vader anywhere PDH is being talked about. And now you can also find us on Patreon. Big shout out to our patrons, uh, Scarecrow Paul and William the Younger. Thank you very much, guys. Look forward to your your uh, patron-only sneak, sneak preview, sneak peek content, all that sort of good stuff. But before we get on out of here, we do want to mention the Queen and Rook presents the Rags to Riches PDH tournament again. It is on October 23rd. starts at noon local time. It is in Queen, Queen and Rook Games in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is hosted by at Gilded Adonis on Twitter. I've had them on the stream. They go by Dallas, uh, quote-unquote, Walker Nash. He's a good dude, plays excellent PDH. He's always talking about PDH. Not sure if it's their favorite format, but it's got to be pretty close. And yeah, it should be an awesome time. I'm glad that PDH is finally getting some paper representation outside of Spell Table, outside of the digital world. So it should be really cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear what the meta ended up being, what the tournament ended up being like. It seems pretty affordable to get in. $10 entry fee, $350 in prizes, and then the top table, the top four, I guess, they split a set of the Warhammer 40k EDH decks. So that's pretty sweet, uh, pretty sweet prize support for just playing some PDH all day like you were probably going to anyway. <laughs> so do you guys have anything to add to the about the tournament? No. It's just pretty sweet. It seems huh? very yeah. cool. I wish yeah. I moved closer it, to it does seem very cool. Philadelphia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Only... I might have to put the bug in my, my LGS's ear about something like that. The this. only thing really I gotta cool. add is y'all need to attend and, and fill this one up so that they do another yeah, one. They up. do another one so that I can go attend the other one because I'm busy that weekend. I'm so sad. Yeah, do that. Do it for Liam. If nothing else, you, just put together a deck and go go do it what, just for Liam. What really makes me upset about that is the day before I found out about it, I committed myself for that weekend. And I was like, Are you kidding me? <sighs> I was like, Come yep, on. That's how it happens. Yeah. So y'all should go fill this one up and make it a great event. Yeah, take pictures, post them. Win games, play games, use, do all that. Use fun the stuff. hashtag PDH, hashtag the PDH pod on Twitter. Perfect. Get that branding. Nice, nice shout out. <laughs> all right. Well, as episode 18 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, kick her some stickers, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. Peace. I brought projects to the party. Texted the party.